Vancouver's Broadway plan one step closer to a vote. The towering challenge for council with more than 40 amendments to consider. More evidence at the Amanda Todd's extortion and harassment trial. What Dutch police found in the home of the accused. And reckless riding. The search for motorcyclists putting themselves and everyone else in danger. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver City Council is considering one of the most controversial and divisive plans in the city's history. The Broadway plan will define development along one of the city's most important corridors. And if adopted, it will infl- its influence will stretch over the next 30 years. But there's a lot to wade through before a vote actually happens. Our Kamal Karmali is live outside the meeting. Uh, with more on the story and why we don't know, Kamala, how long this could go on for. Right, Sophie, and one councillor called this meeting a dog's breakfast. There was hope that there might be a vote on this controversial plan tonight, but now that's been thrown out the window. More than 40 amendments now brought forward to the plan that need to be discussed. And guess what? We're only on amendment number three before tonight's break. Uh, and council is set to reconvene uh, just in a few minutes uh, now. So a long night ahead. And it's a debate that council has been a part of since the last month. More than 200 registered speakers had lined up to speak to council on this project. The 30-year proposal would reshape the corridor along the Broadway subway. The plan proposes new housing and community facilities. And two-thirds of the construction would be rental, while a quarter of that is proposed to be built low market rates. On the other side of the argument, though, people heavily doubt new housing will have the desired effect and instead increase rent and make the city even less affordable. Because of all the amendments tonight, though, one councillor is proposing to postpone the vote on the project until after October's civic election. Clearly, uh, the Broadway plan is, is not at the point where it should be approved. And don't get me wrong, you know, we know that the Broadway subway is being built, it's under construction and growth is inevitable. Um, but what it, what that growth looks like and how it actually affects residents as well as people coming in the future remains to be seen. And that's what a well thought out plan is all about. But this plan is not there. It's not ready. All right, Kamal, dozens of amendments uh, that they have to go through, as you mentioned. What are some of the key ones being discussed? Yeah, so one amendment that uh, is planned on being brought forward uh, is that renters who get displaced by infrastructure would be able to come back at an affordable rate. Another one is uh, proposing putting a bike lane along Broadway. And out of the three amendments, that out of the 42 that have been brought forward tonight, uh, one limits three towers per block. And uh, once again, only on uh, amendment number three out of 40. So a long night ahead, this could uh, leak over uh, to multiple meetings. Sophie and Chris, back over to you. Uh, Nothing ever really gets done that quickly in the city, so we'll (laughs) see how it goes. Thanks, Kamal. All right, a 24-hour search for a person who went missing from a rental boat in Burrard Inlet has been suspended. The Joint Rescue Coordination Center was alerted to an unmanned rental boat adrift in English Bay Wednesday afternoon. The keys were still in the ignition and the throttle was all the way forward. The rescue center issued a May Day broadcast and multiple agencies, including the Coast Guard, conducted a search of the waters. 
But later this afternoon, the search ended and the file has now been handed over to the VPD as a missing persons case. A 33-year-old woman is now being charged in connection with two stabbings in the Guildford area of Surrey earlier this month. Chantelle Ashley Malidi has been charged with two counts of aggravated assault and two counts of assault with a weapon. Police say two people were stabbed in what appear to be unprovoked incidents two days apart, June 2nd and 4th. Malidi is in custody until her next court appearance. The trial of the Dutch man accused in the Amanda Todd sextortion case heard from an inspector from the Netherlands today. He testified about the evidence discovered by police there during the investigation. But as Romina Dea reports, the defense tried to poke holes in the digital forensic evidence. This case comes down to identity. Who allegedly sextorted 15-year-old Amanda Todd before she killed herself in 2012? The jury hearing extremely technical evidence from the Netherlands. Inspector Wiebren Vandermeer, a digital investigator with the Dutch National Police, testified via video. He detailed his involvement in an investigation of online activities dubbed disclosure. Vandermeer told the jury he visited a vacation cabin in Oysterbitch, January 15, 2014, where he examined a router. The accused, 43-year-old Aidan Coban, a Dutch citizen, was arrested in a different cabin nearby. Through an examination of IP addresses, Crown is trying to prove Coban was connecting to the Wi-Fi from the neighboring home. Crown's theory, the accused was using 22 fake user accounts to sextort Amanda Todd for three years. Pornographic images allegedly sent to family, friends and schools. Defense raising questions as to whether it was even possible for the accused to get an internet connection given the distance between the two cabins and the tall trees surrounding the red brick home where Coban was arrested. Defense, did you understand at that time that the house my client was arrested in had Wi-Fi or did not have Wi-Fi? Witness, I did not know whether there was Wi-Fi or not in the house where your client was arrested. Defense suggesting there's no link between Coban and the online extortionist, adding that Amanda likely shared social media passwords with others. Multiple witnesses from the Netherlands are expected to testify at this seven-week trial. For deeper context of Thursday's testimony, go to our website. Romina Dea, Global News. BC continues to see more deaths related to toxic, illicit drugs, with at least 161 people dying in April alone. That devastating figure means about 5.4 deaths are happening each day. Illicit drug toxicity is the leading cause of unnatural death in BC. It's greater than the number of homicides, motor vehicle incidents, drownings, fire-related deaths and deaths by suicide combined. Anyone using illicit substances is at risk from the unpredictable and unregulated supply. Drug users are encouraged to use with another person who can call for help if it's needed. The threat remains high across the province, but substance users on Vancouver Island and in the north are said to be particularly at high risk. A Delta mother says BC's healthcare system is failing her miserably, leaving their family with no professional help to care for her terminally ill son. 
A warning about this story. Some of the pictures are difficult to see. As John Hua reports, the mother is afraid she'll be saying her final goodbyes before her son gets the support he deserves. Medication five times a day. Complex around-the-clock care seven days a week. This is not what Stephanie Hill Davy imagined when sharing what could be the final weeks of her son Owen's life. It's so incredibly important to us to capture whatever moments we have left. Just a little bit to go. But instead of devoting every second they have left to making memories like this. You okay? Hill Davy has been left with the burden of stepping in as his full-time nurse. When is he going to get dignity? When is he going to get a mom to be a mom? When is he going to get the care that he qualifies for? At 11 years old, Owen has lived with a rare single gene defect affecting multiple organs his entire life. In the two months since his family was told the end was near, he's already lost half his body weight, down to just 19 pounds. The fact that he's, he's dying is a hard thing to wrap your head around. Making matters so much worse, it's been a month since the Provincial Health Services Authority approved 56 hours of palliative care a week. And still that home nursing support is nowhere to be seen. To date, the agency says that they have not received the contract. Precious moments stolen because of paperwork. Owen's mother says it's just another chapter in his care to get the health minister to address for years. I have reached out to Adrian Dix several times. There was a time span where my husband called his office every day for three weeks. Similar frustration from their local MLA, Ian Payton, stumped in his search for answers. We've got a, a, a file here, you know, half an inch thick of letters we've written to the ministry and we've done everything we possibly can, but something has to change. What a difference asking through the media seems to make. I understand the PHSA is working with them and uh, we'll be in touch with them soon about the care plan. Hill Davy says she's heard statements like this from the minister before. The problem this time, she can't wait years to see if he'll live up to his promises. Okay. Hi. Knowing Owen's precious moments are fading with each passing day. John Hua, Global News. Well, the state of health care in B.C. will be top of mind as the B.C. Greens hit the road on a province-wide tour to meet with health care providers, advocates and patients. Richard Zussman has more on what the Greens are calling for and the pressure they're putting on the NDP government to take urgent action. A heavy dose of face-to-face -face visits. We need to listen to and amplify the voices of doctors, nurses, paramedics, researchers, advocates and citizens. Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau and MLA Adam Olson set to make a total of 10 stops across BC through September, a province-wide health care tour. At the end of the day, British Columbians are looking for urgent action to address the systemic issues facing our health care system. Everybody needs a family doctor. The Green Party providing the prescription to what it believes will bolster an ailing system calling on short-term financial support to keep family practices open, updating the family physician payment model, publicly funding the mental health care system, and regulating a safe supply of drugs, those on the front lines participating in the tour kickoff. The access to primary care is 
so problematic, even I as a heart surgeon have a hard time accessing a general practitioner? There is no quick fix, I am aware, but psychologists in this province want very much to help. We want to use best practice research from around the world. Health Minister Adrian Dick says his government's currently working to address the reality nearly a million people in the province are without a family doctor. We have 600 more doctors than we did when I became Minister of Health, right? 600 more. We have twice as many nurse practitioners. But what's happened is that increasingly, especially younger doctors, don't want to go into what's called longitudinal primary care. The province has addressed another chronic pain. Data released Thursday showing a stunning increase in the number of MRIs completed from 233,000 in 2018-19 to 252,000 the year after, down to 247,000 last year, and now up to nearly 300,000 MRIs completed in this last fiscal year. More machines, using those machines more and more efficiently, adding staff and adding resources to this so that people get better service from their public health care system. A public health care system where everyone is still searching for the answers to get those better services. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Let's take a look at our weekly COVID-19 numbers now. There are currently 325 patients in hospital with COVID. 28 of them are in the ICU. There have been 43 more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus. And we have 895 new confirmed cases. Speeding bikes shared on TikTok. The Vancouver Island riders now in big trouble and the subject of a search for putting themselves and everyone else at risk at nearly 300 kilometers an hour. Next on the News Hour. Coming up, the legend of North Shore Betty and how the one-time sailboarding rock star is still going strong at the age of 73. And we're going to show you the smoothest purse-snatching suspect you'll ever see later. Right now, though, shocking video of reckless and dangerous driving and what police are calling complete disregard for human life. TikTok videos now taken down show at least three motorcycles pulling wheelies and weaving in and out of traffic, all while pushing nearly 300 kilometers an hour. Kylie Stanton has more. Pulling stunts, pushing 300 kilometers an hour. At least three motorcycles dangerously weave in and out of traffic along Highway 17 Monday evening. This is rocket ship 27. The videos capturing the action posted to TikTok shortly thereafter. They certainly uh, are telling of how these individuals are driving or riding these motorcycles in such a dangerous and flagrantly disrespectful manner uh, for all the other road users. The incident prompted more than a dozen 911 calls. And while Saanich police did attend and try to stop the riders, they failed to pull over. Breaker, breaker, come in earth. Police are now investigating. We're certainly still looking for dash cam video to help us investigate that file. But the videos provide plenty to go off of. They were posted to Colin Penzel's TikTok account that has since been deleted, as have the other social media channels under that handle. There's also a glimpse of a phone screensaver showing a vaccine card under the same name. But if history is any indication, proving who is actually behind the wheel is much more complicated. We're going home. Ten years ago, Randy Scott was allegedly riding this motorcycle down the same highway. This video of the ride, posted to YouTube, was the starting point for investigators. But the charges were ultimately dismissed. Here, there's some basis for 
having doubt about whether Mr. Scott was the driver. It just gets me angry and upset. Ron Crunk, a former police officer and now with the Vancouver Island Safety Council, says it's incidents like these that give motorcyclists a bad reputation. It exemplifies just a couple of bad apples in the barrel. Kronk is confident lessons have been learned since the Scott case, and new investigative techniques are being applied today. If caught, the riders could face several traffic violations, as well as criminal charges for dangerous operation of a motor vehicle. They will get discovered. The people out there know who these people are, and they should do the right thing and hold these people accountable. Kelly Stanton, Global News. A new survey of Victoria residents has found the majority of respondents don't feel safe in the city's downtown after dark. Victoria Police survey found only 37% of respondents say they feel safe to go downtown at night. That number climbs to 79% during the daytime. More than half of respondents, 52%, say crime has increased in their city, while 26% say they have been a victim of crime sometime in the last five years. Victoria does have the highest crime severity index for a municipally policed municipality in British Columbia. So our crime severity index is 138. That's higher than Vancouver. That's higher than any other municipally policed department. It's also higher than Surrey, for example way above the BC average as well. So that both talks to the severity of crime and the amount of crime that's happening. The surveys were sent out at random to 5,000 residents of Victoria and Esquimalt. 1,300 people ended up completing the questionnaire. Just ahead, rising water in some of our rivers. Many of them are approaching near capacity for the amount of flow that they can handle. The areas most at risk with rain and the big melt underway. Also ahead, backcountry logging roads in bad shape. How one researcher says it contributed to a deadly landslide. Good evening. Traffic has pretty much fully recovered with just minor delays at the north end of the Burrard Street Bridge after clearing a medical emergency at Pacific in the right lane. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. It's going to be a tense few weeks for people who live in low-lying areas all around the province. According to the River Forecast Centre, the cold, wet spring we've been having has delayed the usual snow melt by several weeks. So, as Aaron MacArthur reports, either a heat wave or unusually heavy rain could quickly lead to flooding. Near Lytton, the Thompson River really moving. The spring freshet in full swing. At the Mission Gauge, the Fraser still has room to come up, but there are risks looming in the mountains. The snow melt, three or four weeks behind schedule. So in a typical year, we might have melted half of the snow. We're seeing that this year, only about uh, 20% of the snow that we've accumulated has melted. The risk also coming from the sky. A late season atmospheric river set to dump significant rain across BC Thursday and Friday. And while the long-term forecast is calling for cooler than typical temperatures, forecasters are also watching for sudden spikes. 
And this really uh, brings us into what is going to be the, the kind of critical window for freshet season across the province over the next uh, few weeks, two or three weeks. Uh, we are expecting that with these rivers full, we are very much vulnerable to uh, any kind of extreme weather pattern that might emerge. Kind of like a pyramid on there, right? About 300 people are being affected by flooding near Terrace, and there is concern about the Liard River topping its banks near the Yukon border. Emergency Management BC is reminding people to be prepared. Assemble a grab-and-go bag for your household with the essentials that you'll need um, if you're asked to evacuate. The concern for many people who lived through last November's flooding is another rapid rise in water levels. According to the experts, the spring freshet tends to be more predictable. But any sudden change in weather patterns and the chances of a flood event go up. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell now for more on how this latest atmospheric river is going to play out around the province. Yvonne? It's been steady, Chris, a rainfall through the day today, and it's all courtesy of this atmospheric river, and it'll continue to be heavy at times actually this evening. We've already had 10 and up to 20 millimetres, but through tonight, overnight, we have an additional 10 and 20 for most areas across Metro Vancouver. Eastern areas could see that range between 20 and up to 30 millimetres. The target of it, however, is just towards the south of us, but it'll still bring rainfall, and the big concern for the northeastern corners of the province. Underneath the flood warning, the Laird River as well as Watson Lake all included within that see additional rainfall this evening. We also have a slight risk of some thunderstorms that will bring in that rainfall across the region. Here's a look at the amounts once again. So we're tracking heavy rain this evening. A heads up, we're not in the clear just yet. It'll taper off to a chance of showers. We'll have additional rainfall late in the day for tomorrow. And then we've got a bit of a break as we get in towards the weekend. I'll have more coming up very shortly. Chris? All right, we'll check in a little later. Thank you, Yvonne. Of course, it was during last fall's atmospheric river event that we saw those unprecedented floods and deadly landslides. According to some critics, washed away logging roads were just disasters waiting to happen. Case in point, the Duffy Lake slide that killed five people. Paul Johnson has more on what needs to be done and why critics say those deaths could have been prevented. When a landslide killed five people on the Duffy Lake Road last November, that event, combined with the flood disaster elsewhere in the province, was quickly blamed on climate change. But in the case of the Duffy Lake Road disaster, was there also a more immediate cause? If the old logging road had not been there, the landslide would likely not have occurred. Ben Parfit is a researcher with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. In the wake of the flooding disaster, he heard from a number of engineers and geotechnical experts who said they've been worried about the stability of old logging roads and that the province was warned years ago. One of the engineers that wrote to the government uh, specifically said that the landslide, in his view, was both foreseeable and preventable. British Columbia has one of the world's most extensive networks of logging roads. Typically, they're built and maintained by logging companies, and when they're done, they're supposed to return them to their natural state. The province is meant to enforce that, but Parfit says there are still many old logging roads on steep mountainsides directly above roads and highways. There is a growing legacy of these roads that are improperly deactivated and that pose significant public health and safety risks. In an apparent corroboration of Parfit's concern, 
Just a few weeks ago, the province issued this request for proposals, calling on engineering firms to bid on work assessing the risk of old logging roads in the Duffy Lake Road area. Thursday, the Ministry of Forests said old logging roads could have contributed to the slide, and they hope the assessment will start as soon as the weather allows. The government um, essentially has felt compelled uh, to launch uh, an investigation and I think he is doing the correct thing uh, in asking for professionals from outside government to be doing that work. Paul Johnson, Global News. Coming up, finding their voice. I have more tools to be able to make my voice sound more like darker or more masculine at will. How gender voice training is changing lives. And Nanaimo police look for a purse snatcher who pulled it off like a pro. Eastbound traffic is still busy through Vancouver and Burnaby this evening after clearing some earlier problems with most of the congestion at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington through the Burnaby Lake stretch. Looking for diversified exposure to alternative energy? They've got EFTs for that. Horizons EFTs, EFT solutions for every investor. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Nanaimo RCMP are investigating a brazen purse theft caught on camera. Take a look at the footage. It happened May 2nd while the victim was sitting in the food court in the Country Club Mall. You can see the suspect casually walking up, carefully picking up the purse from the back of the victim's chair and then walking away. A short time later, security found the purse outside. The victim noted everything was still there except for her bank card, which she immediately cancelled. The suspect is described as 5 foot 5, 40 to 55 years old, with dark hair and black glasses. If you have any information about the incident, you are asked to call Nanaimo RCMP. The Vancouver School District is marking Pride Month by unveiling a newly painted Pride staircase. The staircase at the Education Centre on West Broadway is painted in the colours of the Progress Pride flag. That flag includes the traditional rainbow, but also colours representing people of colour and the trans community. The painted steps represent a commitment to make spaces in the Vancouver School District safe and inclusive for all. This is important so that students can see themselves in our district, included in our district, so that staff can see themselves included. Um, we have a commitment to all, all the communities that we serve in the district, and this is one way that we can make that visible. The school board is hoping the pride stairs at the district office will inspire other inclusive events in the district. A program in Alberta is helping trans and gender diverse people find the voice that matches how they see themselves. Clients say the service has made them feel more comfortable and confident. And as Global Suling Go reports, it's seeing a big jump in referrals. Parker Potier says a trip through the drive through was once a source of stress. If I'm having a bad day and somebody says, OK, ma'am, pull up to the window, like it, it feels really deflating. Parker identifies as a non-binary transgender person. When they started transitioning a few years ago... I realized that the things I was doing to change how I looked and to change how I sounded was bringing me a lot of euphoria with my gender. And so that was when I realized like how much happier I could be. A doctor referred Parker to the Voice and Resonance program at the Glenrose Rehabilitation Hospital. Mo. Dr. Teresa Hardy was the U of A's first practitioner and researcher of gender voice training. She helps clients set goals and work towards the voice they want, not necessarily feminine or masculine. 
it's like learning a musical instrument because we're learning to use the voice or the instrument in a different way. When I saw you know, who I was going to be working with and the level of expertise that she had, it, it really did surprise me that there was someone who cared enough like that. The therapy is publicly funded, but the wait time is long. Over the past decade, referrals have increased from five per year to more than five per month. It took Parker three and a half years to get in, but it was worth it. I have more tools to be able to make my voice sound more like darker or more masculine at will kind of thing, you know? And so it's, it's very um, freeing, I guess. Dr. Hardy says it's rewarding to help people sound more like themselves and navigate a sometimes difficult society. I've heard from numerous clients that doing this work kind of makes them feel like they have a bit of a shield against some of that marginalization or makes them feel a bit safer as they interact with the world. And for some people, it can even be life-saving. A Kelowna organization has been chosen from 76 companies around the world to create innovative solutions for youth mental health. Curatio was one of 14 companies chosen and has teamed up with digital mental health platform OPTT to create an online wellness platform designed specifically for youth that will provide both information and support to any young person who needs it. Curatio is what we call a social health prescription. So it is an app that any patient can use to connect to other patients that are going through the same thing, where they can find trusted, curated, evidence-based information, programs, content, coaching, and to track um, what they need to track on a day-to-day basis to have their best health outcomes. Curatio has users in over 100 countries and in 15 languages, but hopes to reach even more people with its new app. Coming up, the legend of North Shore Betty. You've got to keep going. How the 73-year-old is still pushing her limits and finding new fans along the way. But first, terminal improvements that might make you want to spend a little extra time at YVR. years after construction started, the newly expanded international terminal at YVR is now fully open. The Pier D project is the largest expansion at the airport in more than 25 years, adding 300,000 square feet and eight new gates. The new space includes a glassed-in outdoor island forest, yoga and quiet rooms, and more shopping and dining options. The expanded terminal is also designed with both improved accessibility and a smaller environmental footprint in mind. We really have climate and environmental sustainability at the forefront of our design process. So we have elements such as heat recovery, uh, where we recover heat uh, from washrooms and electrical rooms and reuse that in the space. Um, We also have energy efficient lighting um, and uh, green energy efficient heating and cooling uh, systems within, uh, within the PRD. While the number of travelers at YVR still hasn't quite returned to pre-pandemic levels, it is still the second busiest airport in Canada, with around 50,000 people passing through there daily. Yoga? Yeah, I know. It's so West Coast, isn't it? It is a a beautiful airport. I do love that airport. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, And always nice to come home, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right, that does not look good out there, Yvonne. 
Uh, it looks like pea soup right now. Uh, mm-hmm. We are tracking this atmospheric river. Be prepared. Some of the heaviest rainfall is falling this evening before it really does start to ease off as we look ahead overnight and in towards our Friday. We're sitting at 13 degrees. We've got a northeasterly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. There are some heavier pockets. It's really the areas in yellow with heavier rainfall, and we still have a bit more to work our way through as we get in through tonight. It'll be similar across the island, and we are seeing that extending in towards the southeastern corners of the province, and we are tracking a few light strikes that have popped up for the northeastern corners and the big concern especially near highway 97 from watson lake as well as the layered river that's where we're watching very closely as we're underneath that flood warning that remains in effect now overnight tonight should taper off by tomorrow morning we've got that rainfall that'll fall for the northeastern corners of the province through the day tomorrow the instability is going to pop up with the risk of thunderstorms for the central and southern interior and by tomorrow night we've got another wave of rain but anywhere between five and up to ten millimeters so lesser amounts for tomorrow but we are still looking at some wet weather in store and then hopefully drying out as we get in towards the start of our weekend. We are watching, we've got a flood warning rather, and that's where we will exceed bankful. The flood watch, we may exceed bankful rather. The layered river is underneath the flood warning. The flood watch, we can see that for the Skeena and Bulkley River, extends all the way down towards the Dean River, and we still have a few high stream flow advisories. And we'll be looking at these flood concerns and watching them very closely over the next week, leading in towards next week as well. Now, the northeastern corners of the province, so that's a big concern. Temperatures tomorrow just getting up to 17 as a high. Heavier rainfall will be along the north coast inland. The risk of thunderstorms for the central interior and likely extending into the southeastern corners for the Columbian Kootenai. Thompson Okanagan tomorrow, 25 as the high with some sunshine in the mix. We've got a bit of a break in between systems along the south coast. It'll be showers tomorrow morning, heavier rainfall tomorrow night. Hopefully the start of the weekend so far, a bright spot with some sunshine and highs up to 19 degrees. Tonight's weather window was captured yesterday in Richmond. Great shot of a rainbow, and this one was taken by Gary. Guys? Good job, Gary. Well done. (laughs) Thanks, Yvonne. Well, unfortunately, it was one and done for a Vancouver woman on one of TV's top game shows. This is Jeopardy! Let's meet today's contestants. A graphic designer from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Tessa Matsuzaki. Took on Californian Maggie Sharp and two time returning champion Erica Hasek on Wednesday night's Jeopardy. During the interview segment, Tessa was able to work in a shout out to the Pacific Assistance Dogs Society, for which she helps raise puppies to be service dogs. During the show, she gave the returning champion a pretty good run for his money, but despite coming up with a correct answer in final Jeopardy, she finished second. She made it onto the show. That's all that matters. Exactly, exactly. Well done, Tessa. And Squire made it onto this show. I did, which doesn't always happen on time. It's true, but that's all right. You're but here. I made it. And apparently Canada's men's team will make it to the park tonight and play Curacao. We'll talk about that game. We'll show you um, what happened at the Canadian Open Golf Tournament and also the PGA's reaction to the new Live Golf Tour. And also Langley having the Canadian Track and Field Championships Two years in a row, this year and next year. Lots coming up. Thanks, Squire. And later tonight, a 73-year-old trailblazer who really is blazing the trails on the North Shore.
attention consumers. Having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies? Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. A lot of red at BC Place tonight for a big game against Curaçao. <laughs> I hope there's a lot of fans. I Not know bad. some people will feel a bit miffed about what happened Sunday, but it'd be nice to have a big crowd because this is the only time you're going to see this team live before the World Cup. And since we have been guaranteed that Canada will play Curaçao 7.30 at BC Place, what can we expect to see? With Canada not playing last Sunday and this being part of the CONCACAF Nations League tournament, expect head coach John Herbin to send his main guys into battle, especially since there really aren't many chances to get games for his Canadian players before the World Cup starts in November. You know, this game against Curaçao now becomes really important for us. I think this is a good test. We've seen what they did in Honduras and... I think these boys will be tested. There's a couple of them going to be coming in a bit fatigued and we're not going to allow that to be uh, an excuse. So, you know, fingers crossed we, uh, we can put a performance on. Well, we haven't seen this since 2019. A Canadian Open golf tournament just outside of Toronto. Rory McIlroy won the last one, which was back in 2019. He's at minus four. Wyndham Clark has the lead at minus seven. How about this from Scotty Scheffler? This is a par three and this will be a birdie. But you don't often get a birdie on a par three from the salad bar. But he did. It'll get there. Don't worry. I wouldn't show you if it didn't. Merritt's Roger Sloan had a great start. He was four under at one point. Then he put together four bogeys in a row. Darn. This one on the path. But I'm sure he'll bounce back. Adam Hadwin was minus one. Nick Taylor even. Adam Svensson plus two. And... Uh, A.J. Ewart, who we talked about the other day, plus three in his first ever Canadian Open, 18. He'll have 18 more tomorrow. The PGA has suspended 17 players who decided to play on the first ever Live Series golf tournament in London, England. Some had already resigned from the PGA, so none of the 17 will be eligible to play any PGA events. But the four majors aren't run by the PGA, so they are still open to these players. The PGA also warned that any players who decide to play in a live event in the future will face the same punishment. The people who run live golf say the PGA's decision was vindictive. And there's the guy who runs it, Greg Norman. He, of course, convinced a few stars to join up, like Dustin Johnson, who had 125 million reasons to join and not really care about hitting the ball in the bush, but he's still upset. Just the same. Uh, he's at one under par. Phil Mickelson, also one under. Charles Schwartzel leads after uh, one round. It's only a 54-hole event. He is at five under par. All right, it's the Lightning. It's the Rangers. It's game five. They're tied 2-2 in this series. Got to take a look at this goal twice. Very amazing that Ryan Lindgren gets this one past a guy like Vasilevsky, but he does. But Tampa Bay has tied it. They're just at the end of the second period. It is now 1-1. All right. If you're a fan of track and field, the best in Canada will be in Langley at McLeod Park, not just this year, but next year as well. We also have the Harry Jerome coming up. And with the Worlds just down the road in Oregon, it'll be worth going out and watching. Canada's best track and field athletes are coming to BC. The Township of Langley will host the next two editions of the Canadian Track and Field Championships at McLeod Athletic Park. 
We knew that we had a great facility, but we also knew that we needed to expand the facility, enhance it, uh, redo the track, and a number of things. So, and so it's been close to $2 million that we've invested in this park over the last couple of years to get it ready so that we could uh, host an event like this. The hotbed of track and field is the Fraser Valley uh, for British Columbia. And just the opportunity to have Canada's greatest track and field athletes to have the township to hold an event like this. And so for them, I think it was a no-brainer to see what we could do to make it happen. For some local athletes, it's an opportunity to show off their hometown. Unfortunately for Georgia Ellenwood, the Olympian won't be able to compete at this year's event since she's recovering from an injury. I know it's going to be here next year as well, and so that is going to be the goal, to come back and actually put on a show for everybody, uh, being my hometown and everything. But I'm going to do as much as I can off the track, cheer everybody on, you know, to meet and, and interact with some people uh, and to just be there as encouragement. The national championships will be more than just a showcase event for some of Canada's best track stars, such as Andre de Grasse. It will also serve as trials for the World Athletic Championships which are being held in Eugene, Oregon in July. Surrey's praise Anyamaka is looking to win the triple jump under 20s. The Pacific Academy grad recently broke the Canadian U-20 indoor record with a jump of 15.89 metres. After like the past couple of years of, you know, not a lot of training, not a lot of competition, it's been nice to come back and, you know, do something big like that. So hopefully I can keep up that momentum and then coming outdoor season. The events will run from June 22nd to 26th at McLeod Athletic Park. <laughs> Track and field stressed you out? Yeah, because I was really bad at it. <laughs> she wasn't competing in the high jump, let's put it that way. <laughs> None of it, really. Actually, the pole vault was freakier, because if you yep. did that the wrong way, oh. you had a really bad night. Yeah, Horrible. I'm sure. I never tried it for good reason. Thanks, Squire. Okay. On the topic of athletic endeavors, can't stop, won't stop. Jay Durant tries to keep up with North Shore Betty, the queen of rad. <laughs> this is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. World is standing by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Sarah? Chris, we're at Vancouver City Council tonight, continuing to follow those developments on the heated debate over the Broadway plan and all of those amendments. It could be a very long night. We'll have a live report. Plus, the search for a suspected spitter. Why Victoria police want the public to be on the lookout for this man and details on the assault he is accused of. Plus, Squire joins us with highlights from tonight's Canada soccer game. All that and more coming up at 11, guys. Look forward to it. Thanks, Sarah. Well, at an age when you might be expected to slow down a little and try to avoid higher-risk sports like mountain biking, 73-year-old Betty Burrell is still shredding trails on the North Shore. She can ride circles around people half her age, and now she is the star of a new film. Jay Durant tries to keep up with her on This Is B.C. She's the star of a new film by Patagonia. More than half a million YouTubers have watched Betty Burrell tear down the North Shore trails. And it's inspiring people by proving that life doesn't have to slow down in your early 70s. I don't need to stop. You just, you don't need to stop. Burrell knows no other way. Her entire life, she's treated the world as one big playground, first achieving some mountaineering feats in her 20s. On one expedition, we got about like between six and eight, maybe more first ascents in this one particular area. Betty Burrell is a flight attendant living in Canada. She was, she was a pro windsurfer, pioneering the sport for women by taking on waves few others dared. She became well known on the world circuit. Wait, 20 minutes out there, you must be drained. Uh, well, I am a little bit. 
1982 article. Uh, I was on the cover there. Burrell has had her share of injuries over the years. Mountain biking is no exception after first getting into the sport nearly 30 years ago. I've broken my arm, I've broken my hand, I've broken this arm, I've dislocated both shoulders. But I just was always reinventing. These are some of the trails she helped break in in the early 1990s before the sport exploded in popularity. I could go out during the week and not run into anyone on the climbs or the downhills. Betty is a legend on the North Shore. I feel like I'm with a celebrity. It feels pretty cool. Time has forced Burrell to pull back a bit of the extreme on these rides, but not much. North Shore Betty can yeah. still send it at age 73. I don't think people should be judged by their age. And I think people should keep pushing the envelope, their own personal envelope, as long as they're comfortable. Don't quit. Just keep going. Jay Durant, Global News. Definitely words to live by, Betty. Thank you. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, be sure to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc@globalnews.ca. Betty's fit, and she's got a pretty fit dog, too, is chasing her down all of those trails, as you saw. We, sh we should all be that 73. Yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. Kidding. Yes. For sure. It's inspiration. All right, last word on weather from Yvonne with this atmospheric river over us now. Yeah, still seeing rain and heavy at times tonight. Should taper off to showers. A bit of a reprieve for a few spots, and then it picks up towards the evening hours. We're hoping to dry out as we get in towards the weekend, but still tracking that rainfall heavy tonight. Saturday looks good, though. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.